It will arise as once before, in ages past when magic soared. Passing o'er the world, shore to shore, the wind, the fury, again shall roar. Welcome to the Swan Song Podcast by Eamon Cottrell and Brian Stallings. The Swan Song Podcast is the episodic audiobook for the fantasy novel John Swan Song and the Parada Isle. Episode 11. When John woke, he felt like he'd slept for a week, despite the nightmares. He heard the muffled shouts of the crew through the cabin walls. Rat and Sarah came in to check on him. She hardly left your side, you know. Rat looked at Sarah, and just as she was about to say something else, he continued. Not that there's much else to do out in the sea. Can't believe all the storms didn't wake you, though. Phineas said, calling the wind can be draining. John held the piece of bread above the bowl as a soggy morsel fell. Even for a parada, he added almost reluctantly. Rat shot him a look that he wasn't familiar with. It was awfully similar to the glare Rat gave his own paw when he'd come home after a bender at the hook. He didn't know what had gotten into Rat. Huh. Rat spat, pacing again. Never knocked you down when you used it before. What do you mean, used it before? Oh, I don't know. Like all the times you outrun Wren back on Labrie. Like all the times you raced up Bowdoin. All the times you sailed in the harbor back home. All our adventures, John. Why didn't you tell me? Rat rounded on John as accusations pierced the air. Sarah sat up straight and turned her chair to face Rat. John was flabbergasted. Rat, listen to you, she said before John had a chance to say anything. We're all in the same danger, being chased by who knows what, and instead of coming together, you're attacking each other? For what? Wind's alive, Rat. I would have thought you'd be excited to have a parada as your best friend. It's like something out of a story tale. Rat looked a little shamed until John opened his mouth. Don't pay him any mind, Sarah. Can't you see he's jealous? Sarah glared at John with something between confusion and hurt. Jealous? <laughs> well, you're right, John. I sure wish I could pass out for two days after touching a piece of wood. I wish I could get everyone on the ship to worry day and night over me and feed me in bed once I woke up. John looked at Rat, whose frown had hardened again. He didn't say anything, and he felt the scowl on his face harden to match Rat's. It hurt him that Rat was acting this way. John didn't ask for any of this parada nonsense. Surely Rat saw that. But he couldn't figure out how to say the right words to make peace, so he just kept glaring a moment before lowering his eyes to the bowl of stew. He heard Rat let out a sigh of exasperation and was about to tell him he was sorry for acting like a brat. He was sorry for getting mad. He was sorry for being a parada. When Rat stormed out of the galley and onto the quarterdeck, Sarah, seeing the look on John's face as he saw Rat fly out the door, put a hand on John's arm. He whipped his head around and was surprised to see a mixture of sadness and another expression that he couldn't quite make out on her face. 
He felt goosebumps rising and shrugged his arm out of her grip. She backed up a step, paused, and then said, He's just jealous, John. Suddenly, he felt very uncomfortable sitting there, just the two of them. He had the same sort of sensation of not quite being able to put together the right thing to say, only unlike with Rat, now he didn't even know what he should or wanted to say. Luckily, she broke the silence. Give him a bit of time, John, she said, barely above a whisper. But you should know that Rat never left your side either. It was him that talked Phineas into letting us stay with you as much as we did. Like it or not, we are in open waters, and there's plenty of work to be done on the ship. My pa was none too happy with us staying in here day and night. John felt awful. Yes, Rat was being a bit unreasonable, but he was also just being Rat. He was always reacting more harshly than John to all sorts of things, and John was used to standing by his side while he ran through whatever the latest tirade was. I don't know why I got upset, sir. I don't want to be any different. Maybe I'm just as scared as he is. Sarah didn't say anything, but she nodded and smiled. She really did have a pretty smile, John thought. It was soft and warm, and it made him feel good. He got that same goosebumpy feeling and quickly broke eye contact. I'm going to go apologize, he said hastily. It sounded much less a genuine reason to leave the room than he intended, but before she could say anything more, he, like Rat, rushed out the door. Nothing could have prepared him for what he saw when he emerged for the first time from that cabin. The reality of where they were staggered him before he even stepped onto the deck. Expecting the usual bright blue skies that were so often present above Labrie, he had difficulty wrapping his head around the fact that the seas were a world unto themselves. It was dark. Not the same dark as night. Rather, it was as though a thin husk had been pulled over the surface of the seas and filtered most of the light of the sun before it reached the earth. John looked out in every direction, and for as far as he could see, the shroud hung down from the skies like a hazy web. Scanning above, he thought that he made out the shape of the sun as it hung behind the smog, but it was hard to be certain. He looked over the port side of the jasmine and saw a funnel of water far away shoot up out of the sea and stretch its length toward the heavens. It was thin. John thought it looked about the same size around as a small sila tree, but it shot up for 100, maybe even 200 feet. He watched as the water spun around, spiraling up, 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 and then it simply collapsed back to the body of water beneath it. It was a spira, so the stories were true. All the arguments that he'd had with Rat drifted from his mind as he looked around at the crew to see if they had witnessed the giant shoot of water. No one seemed to have seen anything, though. They were going about their duties as if all were normal. John turned back to the port and scanned the waters again. Every time he looked, he saw more. It was as if his mind couldn't let him digest everything at once. Now he saw why no one had paid the water spout any mind. They were everywhere. 
They shot up, one after the other, over and over and over, for as far as John could see. There weren't so many that you couldn't navigate around them if you knew where they were likely to shoot up from, but John had enough sense to understand the dangers of these spera. If one of them formed beneath the ship, it would capsize them. As John continued to look out, he saw something that made his skin crawl. Far out, beyond many towering spera, he saw a dark spot on the surface of the ocean. He squinted again to make sure his eyes weren't playing tricks on him in the permanent twilight. But sure enough, between the rolling waves, he saw a definite depression in the ocean. A whirlpool. John swallowed hard. If the tales could be trusted, and at this point it looked like they could, whirlpools at sea could swallow ships whole. This was nothing like the dreams he'd had of sailing the high seas away from Labrie and exploring the vast reaches of the earth. Lightning flashed ahead, closer than he would have liked. There was nothing safe here. Everywhere he turned, he saw peril greater than the last. He looked straight overhead and made out the shapes of dark gray clouds amidst the shroud. Watching them, he witnessed the imbalance of the wind. One moment they were just overhead, and then they were being blown rapidly to the east, then north, then east again. John could actually see the wind change direction, back and forth, and back and forth. He began to feel very small as he stood transfixed outside the cabin door. There was nowhere to go. They had sailed into the dark seas, and there was no telling where in the vast reaches of the Escondo they actually were. John started to panic. He was panting and finding it difficult to catch his breath. He felt his legs tingling, almost like the feeling he had in his gut when Sarah had held his arm. He gripped the railing in front of him, still breathing heavily, and heard his name being called out as the jasmine's masts began to swirl like large blood-red spera overhead. Blurred shapes moved toward him, but he couldn't focus. He felt like the shroud had fallen around him, and everything was muddied and muffled, and then black. When he woke this time, he knew he hadn't been out as long as the last. He was neither groggy nor hungry. He must have fainted, and he must have come to fairly quickly because he was still outside. His left knee hurt, as did both elbows, and he figured he'd fallen forward onto the four steps in front of him. He must have been just conscious enough before hitting the deck for his arms to shoot out in front of his face to brace for the impact. Rat was there, he was glad to see, and he looked down at John. Jeez, John. Rat was standing over him with his arms crossed and the beginnings of a smirk on his face. Can't you do anything without passing out these days? He reached down and clasped hands with John, pulling him up. It didn't look like anyone else had noticed John's little fainting spell, and John was glad of this. He rubbed the back of his head and stretched his neck back and forth. Listen, I'm sorry for earlier, Rat began. Don't worry about it. John said quickly. The whole thing is crazy, you know? Yeah, pretty unreal, eh? Rat said, looking out into the dense ocean air. 
Makes you wonder what other tales really are true, doesn't it? Rat seemed to be trying to reason with himself as much as John. Yesterday, I saw a whale. Rat's eyes were wide, and John shivered when he looked at him. Rat seemed transfixed in the memory as if he were recalling something dreadful instead of one of the wonders of the seas. What's wrong, Rat? he asked. We've always imagined what it'd be like to actually see some of the creatures of the deep. What was it like? Was it as big as Goth always bragged? Rat rubbed his lips together, trying to form the words. Finally, he swallowed, looked away from John and out to the darkness of the east, and said, Bigger. It was so big, John. I was just over there, watching the sparrows out in the distance, when I saw it surface. At first, I thought it was a wave. Goth told us they were the size of ships, but I didn't expect it to really be that big. Its belly was pitch black, and as it rose up further, I realized that it wasn't a wave at all. It shot two streams of water out of its breathers. They shot up higher than some of the sparrows we've seen. I bet it was twice as long as the jasmine, maybe more, and just as big around as our hull. Rat paused as if deciding whether he could go on or not, his lips working again, contemplating how to tell John the rest. John was listening with attentive caution, worried what was bothering his friends so much. After a moment, he continued. I shouted out to Sarah to come and see. The whale was staying just under the surface again and bobbing up as the swells rolled over him. All of a sudden, he dipped down. I thought he was gone, and Sarah had just gotten there. All she saw was a glimpse of its massive belly before it went back below. Just as I was going to tell her sorry she missed it, the, the whale leapt up out of the ocean. It was unreal, like a mountain coming up out of the waves. It didn't come all the way out of the water. I, I don't think that would have been possible, but it was just so big. When it crashed down, the waves it made were bigger than the swells of the ocean around it. It did this three more times. All the while, more and more of the crew were starting to watch it. I don't think many of them had ever seen a whale either. Phineas came up behind me after the second jump. Sarah and I asked him if he'd ever seen anything like it before. He looked sad, though, or tired, maybe, I'm not sure. He simply nodded and put an arm on each of our shoulders while we continued to watch. We were so busy watching how high the whale was sleeping each time that we failed to see why it was behaving so rashly. Abram shouted out what sounded like some urgent orders, and all of a sudden everyone was running around, sails were being adjusted, everyone but the three of us suddenly had something to do. The ship started turning a bit, so that instead of being just over the port, the whale was drifting away behind us. Sarah asked Phineas before I could why we were turning away from it. Phineas led us up to the deck so we could keep watching. When the whale finally came back into view, I saw it. A whirlpool had opened up behind it. It wasn't jumping out of the ocean for fun. It was trying to outrun the deadly spiral. Sarah was a wreck. All we could do was watch. There was nothing it could do to get away. As the pool opened up wider and wider, it pulled back on the whale in slow motion, grabbing it in its current as it built momentum. 
After the last jump that we saw, the whale came down and was completely engulfed. I saw it start to swirl around once before it was out of sight. It's like the ocean just fell away beneath it. I turned to Phineas, but he'd gone back in to check on you. I thought I was going to be sick right there. If we had been any nearer, we would have been swallowed much quicker than the whale. Rat was shaking his head as he finished. Everything is, is so much bigger than I ever thought possible. He struggled with how to express whatever he was feeling from the memory. John looked around him at the vast expanse of cloudy horizons and dark rolling waves. He surveyed the countless misting sparrows shooting up from the surface of the waters. He turned all the way around, straining his eyes to see all that they could behold out here in the middle of the Escondo. But for a glimpse of calmer skies barely visible back west, he was struck with the totality of where they were and what could be ahead. He felt goosebumps prickling his skin as he realized just how tiny the jasmine was. All his great schemes of adventures on the high seas seemed very childish, and he realized he was more afraid than he'd ever been in his life. We don't belong here, Rat, he managed to whisper. Rat met his gaze, and after a moment cocked his head slightly the same way he did just before he would suggest a plan of mischief back on Labrie. For a moment, at least, the terror of what he'd seen the day before fell from him, and he was back to himself. His eyes slanted, and a grin crept across his face. Well, he said, we're certainly here, and thanks to your little wind magic back in the harbor... I don't think there's any going back for a while. John couldn't help grinning, and was glad that amidst the unbelievable journey they were caught in, he could still smile. John, Phineas said. The boys turned quickly. Do all piratas sneak up on people? Rat shot at him with a grin. You've seen nothing, Rat, Phineas said calmly. Then he raised his left arm above his head, while gripping his staff firmly in his right hand. He brought his left hand down slowly, and John felt a shudder pass through him. Phineas began to fade. John blinked, trying to understand what was going on, and Rat let out a yelp of surprise. They could for a moment see through Phineas, as though he were a curtain wafting in the wind. The mirage lasted only for a moment. Then there was a small flash like the throbbing of far-off lightning, and Phineas was all there. But he'd been there all along, John knew. They saw parts of him the whole time. What the... Rat gasped. How did you... What did you do? Phineas, acting as though nothing had happened, looked at John and said simply, We must, of course, begin your training. <laughs>